Thank you, Andy, for your help this morning. This is God's Word. We're here again to receive what He has for us. Amen? And I want to invite you, if you have your outlines and you want to take notes and follow along, get those out. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to get going. If you're watching online, get your bulletin. If you receive that in your email this week, and get it out and ready to go. But I also want to encourage you, this is a participation message. And so I'm going to need your help throughout this service And uh, you'll find out where those participation moments are, and we're going to enjoy this time together because I know on this Daylight Savings Time Sunday, nobody here is tired. If you're watching on Facebook Live or YouTube, uh, go ahead and share this message. Somebody you know needs to hear this message today from God's Word. If you're here in service, Again, get your phones out. If you have Facebook, share this message as we're live. Get it to as many people that you know need a fresh word from the Lord this morning. Because I want to ask you this question as we get started. Are you tired? Some of you answered that. Yeah, yeah. Are you tired? What does it really mean to be tired on this Sunday where we've lost an hour of sleep, so to speak? Uh, what does it really mean to be tired? I, I've had this experience over my lifetime and over my years in ministry, and now I have it at home. When you ask a teenager this question, or not even this question, you don't have to ask him this question. You could just say, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm tired. And I've done so good, and now I'm not going gonna, gonna to ruin it. I've done so good to bite my tongue. When teenagers tell me they're tired, I just want to say so many things. Uh, But instead, I say, you know what? I'll pray that God can give you some rest so you're not so tired. We get asked this question, how you doing? And it's kind of a default answer sometimes. I'm just tired. I'm tired. Well, what does it really mean to be tired? Well, as you know, if you've heard me preach long enough, you know I like definitions. You know I like word studies. So I looked it up. What is tired? What does the word tired really mean? So here you go. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Tired really means you're in need of rest. (laughs) Duh. Also, another definition that that I came across, and this is what I think that teenagers mean when they say this. Tired means bored with, bored with. If you have kids or grandkids and you've heard them say, I'm just bored, they're really saying, I'm tired. I'm tired of not doing anything or I'm tired of what I'm doing. Maybe we as adults, we even get bored at times. I don't know how often we're willing to admit it, but we say we're tired, but really we're just bored. I know last night, it was one of those nights for me where I just was a little bit restless I almost called Andy just to see if I could borrow his Jeep and say, hey, I just need to go out for a ride. (laughs) I told Alicia, I said, wouldn't this be a great night just to have a Jeep and take the top off and just go enjoy the beautiful weather? And she said, no, I'm freezing cold. (laughs) Sometimes we just get bored. We get restless. We get tired. But there's there's a tiredness, there's a weariness that comes at times when we are following Christ. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but um, we are halfway through Lent. We are at the halfway point. It's halftime, 
okay? We are halfway to Lent. And today, in the church calendar, if you didn't know it, I'm going to give you something new. You might jot this down. Today is entitled Refreshment Sunday. How appropriate. How appropriate. It's like God knew what he was doing. We're halfway through this season of Lent, and at the halfway point, I'm sure there are some of us that are just weary. We're tired. Maybe we made a commitment, you know, so many weeks ago for when Ash Wednesday started, and and we made a commitment to either fast something or or deny ourselves something, and maybe we've lost track of it, or maybe we've slipped up and we've, we've messed up. And so this Sunday is here to find some refreshment, to find a new kick for us to finish strong this season of Lent. I remember as a young, a young boy playing sports that uh, we were playing basketball and we were playing the best team in our city. And this was a team that, that they, they made every team they played just look silly. They would get out and they would, they would just full court press us from the tip off. And, and there, was no, there was no relenting on their part. And, and I played point guard, so it was my job to help advance the ball against this defense. And so I would get in there, and I was a starter for this game, and I got in there. And as soon as I took that first inbounds pass, I had two guys on me. And immediately I just, uh-oh, here we go. So we would go down and we'd get through the the press one or two times or whatever, and then you're like, okay, they'll back off. Nope. They just kept going. I think, Russ, this was your cousin that was coaching. They just wanted to press all the time. So they pressed and they pressed and they pressed, and we kept going and going and going for the entire first half, and we played the entire first half, and we were so spent. We were exhausted at halftime. And I can't remember the score, but I can probably guarantee you that we were not winning. And we went into the locker room, and I vividly remember this part of that halftime specifically. We went in, and we sat down on the benches in the locker room, and our coach came in, and this is what he said to us. He said, sit down, get a drink, and rest. And then he went back out to the court. No pep talk, no game plan. But he knew we needed some refreshment. He knew we needed a restart, some new life. So I want to ask you this morning, it's halfway through Lent. Maybe it's not even a Lenten thing. Maybe it's just your life in general. Maybe you're at a point spiritually where you just need a a good pick-me-up. You need a good restart of your walk with the Lord. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready for refreshment. Are you ready for refreshment? Again, we're halfway to Easter. The time has been going. I I can just be honest with you in my Lenten journey this year. I have stumbled. I have not been fully committed to my commitments that I made on Ash Wednesday. And yet I know that God still loves me, that God still cares about me, that God still wants to be close to me and have a relationship with me. In other words, we can't give up. We must keep going. We must continue to press on because today is a day of refreshment. 
The good news is that today we can have a restart. And if you're excited about restart, if you're excited about a new opportunity, could you just say amen? Amen. Good. That's that's a lot of you. If you're excited to be able to say, you know what? Maybe I've dropped the ball, but I'm ready to pick it up today. Would you just give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Keep clapping. Keep praising the Lord. If you're excited that God gives second chances, would you just keep giving him praise? If you're excited that God loves you, would you just keep giving him praise? He's a good, good father. Amen. He is worthy of our praise. Praise his holy name. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Boy, when you come up to the pulpit, you've got some power. I'll stop there. Praise the Lord. It's refreshment Sunday. We get a new chance. One of the things that I've been trying to do for you each week is give you an opportunity to dive into God's word and see where his scriptures, his word, intersects our life. And it comes together, and it's so awesome. I've, been, I've entitled those devotionals. If you want one, they're in the pews with your bulletins. You can take one and, and just go through it with us this week. It's one passage of Scripture a day. And then on Fridays, we intersect those passages, and we talk about, we write down how they cross together. I've called this our cross-point passages. Because each one of these passages of Scripture really does intersect and ties in to the cross. And the message of the cross. And so I want to talk to us today about those cross point messages from this week. So let's dive into it. The first cross point, number one, is we need to realize today that we need to look to God. We need to look to God. In our passage of scripture this week from Numbers 21 and John 3, we see some stories that not only are told in the Old Testament, but then Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. Anywhere in Scripture that you find a repetition, I want to urge you to pay attention to that. It's not by accident. So let me just share with you a little bit about the story. In the Old Testament reading, Numbers 21, 4 to 9, we read about the people of Israel coming out of slavery into Egypt and Moses coming out of slavery in Egypt and Moses is leading them out. But he's leading all of these people out, and they begin to complain, and they begin to grumble about everything. You know, when I first read this passage of Scripture as a young Christian, and I thought about this, I I never realized how vast and how large this group of people was. Let me just give you some context to this. Some some, um, theologians expressed that there were a Roughly five to six hundred thousand men. So we're talking about probably one to one and a half million people that Moses is leading out of slavery. Now, you know, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly if, if uh, as somebody's counting you today, if somebody was there counting them as they crossed the Red Sea. But That's what we're told, that there was a vast amount of people. I'm here to tell you that from my own experiences, as the crowd grows, the grumbling and complaining continues to grow as well. So Moses is dealing with the grumbling and the complaining of the people. God has literally provided for their every need as they've come out of slavery. 
He is provided for shelter. He's provided for a way out. It's slavery, by the way. This was oppression. This was the bottom. And yet they're complaining out of slavery. And God even provides them food through manna every day. And they get tired. They get bored with it. And we read in this passage that they begin to complain even about the food. We hate this heavenly sweet bread. Hmm. Lord, forgive us if we ever complain about your sweet blessings in our life. And Moses is in tune with God's voice. The people are grumbling and complaining and they're crying out to God. And God hears their complaining. And the Old Testament text tells us that God sends poisonous snakes into their camp. And these poisonous snakes begin to bite them. And they begin to become sick and die. And so now they've been complaining and grumbling and God hears them. So he sends something to them. I don't know if it was a punishment or what, but he's like, you know what? You could have it worse. And he sends these snakes in, and they start biting them, and they, they end up dying. And so now the people start seeing what's happening, and they finally say, Moses, you've got to go to God and tell him, we're sorry. Please pray to God and let him know, we need this to stop. So Moses does. He goes and he prays to God for the people, and, and, the, and God gives him a direct message and says, I want you to, to construct, to resurrect, to, to make a bronze image of a snake, and I want you to put it on a pole. I'm not making this stuff up. You can go read it in numbers, okay? Put this snake on a pole and lift it high in the camp, and God says to Moses, anybody who looks at this snake will be saved. This is really cool. This is really cool because they're complaining. They're, they're, they're cursing God for what he's done in their lives. Then we jump over. Let me fast forward. We jump over to John chapter 3 and in verse 14, we see that Jesus refers to this same story as he's talking to Nicodemus. He refers to it in Nicodemus' conversation and I wondered why does he do that? This is why. You see it on the screen? Take this note down. It's important because we tend to complain and curse God as well. You might be saying, Pastor, I don't curse God. I'm a Christian. You may not feel like you're cursing God. But to live a life that's full of grumbling and complaining about all that he's done and all that he's done around us, really what we're in effect doing is saying, God, it's not good enough for me. We're shaking our fist at him saying, no. We're complaining, we're cursing God, and God is the giver of all things. When we tend to fix our eyes on the problems and the faults, we fail to see what God has blessed us with over and over again. You see, folks, even though this was so many years ago, today, we have a lot in common with the Israelites, we tend to still complain and grumble and curse God just like they did. So God sends the snakes into the camp and people begin to die. 
Finally, the people relent, as we talked about. They cry out for refreshment, for a change, for a reset button. And here's what's so cool about this. Even when we complain, even when we grumble, when we come back and we look to God, God's desire is to save us. God desires to save us. God tells Moses, build this snake, put it on a pole, lift it up, and anybody who looks at that snake will be saved. You see, this becomes a reminder to the people, a reminder of what God can do for them. This is a really cool part of the story, and I've got to stop here because I think this is so good, and it explains why God is such a good, good father. See, if you rewind all the way in Scripture to Genesis... And you go back to Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God is living with, he's communing with Adam and Eve. And we read in scripture that a serpent is in the garden because at this point, the, the Lucifer and the angels have been cast out of heaven and they are in the world as well. And the serpent is there and we know the story. If you've been in church long enough, you know the story. The serpent comes to Eve and tempts her with the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. Because of this sin that takes place, it it changes the relationship and God not only puts Adam and Eve out of the garden, God cursed the serpent. And if you read in scripture closely, God's cursing of the serpent says, now you must crawl on your belly all the days of your life and the woman will try to kill you Wow, what a curse. Because you've caused them to sin, they will always want to kill you, and you've got to grovel on the ground the rest of your existence. Now, we see the Israelite nation complaining and cursing God, so he sends these snakes, these serpents into the camp. They begin to kill the people, and that yet God uses something that has an image of evil, of harshness, of sin, and he takes that image in the snake and he uses it to redeem and save his people. That's good news, folks. What we view as negative in the serpent, in the snake, God says, I'm going to take what the enemy thinks he has hold of us, I'm going to make that same thing work for the good of my people. And he says to them, and I believe he says to us, the cross point that we need to realize from Genesis to Numbers to John to us today is one of the things we need to realize God desires to save us. We just need to look to him. We just need to look up. And see that he's got a plan. Amen? That's worth praising God for. Amen? God desires to save us. We just need to look to him. Wow. Cross point number one, look to God. Cross point number two, the journey is eternal. The journey is eternal. In John chapter three, this is a good reminder of God's continual presence in our lives forever forever. It's eternal. Have you ever been on a long car ride? How many of you have ever been on a long car ride? Okay. By long, I mean not going to Springfield. Okay. 
So how many of you have ever been on that same long car ride with a car full of kids? Now, no matter what the distance was, that car ride just got longer, amen? Yeah. So one of the things that we did in our life when we were... Uh, we lived in Iberia, and we decided we were going to try something for vacation. And we decided we were going to take our first cruise as a family. And we were to go in on this cruise with, uh, with my in-laws, Alicia's parents, and her family. And so we were living in Missouri, in Iberia, Missouri, and we had to go all the way to New Orleans, Louisiana. And we didn't have enough money to fly, so we drove from Missouri to Louisiana. If you look on a map, that's not just an hour's drive. So we pile into the van and we get ready to go and we're all excited and our kids are excited to go. And it was 13, 14 hour trip, I believe is what it was. One way, by the way. (laughs) So it's a long trip. We get in the van and we start going and I can't remember how far we were. We couldn't have been out of the state yet. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, When are we going to get there? Is grandma there yet? Are we going to see grandma soon? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I got to go to the bathroom. And this long trip seemed like eternity. You know what I'm talking about. It It seemed like forever. But really, it was a long trip. But in comparison, it wasn't 40 years in the wilderness like the people of Israel. It really wasn't even as long as 2020, the year of COVID and all that's taken place. Our journey with the Lord is eternal. It is long-lasting. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Listen to these words. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see... Sometimes I think it's natural for us to get tired on this journey. We get tired in our faith journey. We wonder, is this this really what it is? How long is this going to go on? And we get tired of the bad stuff that happens. We get tired of the hard times. We get tired of the same old things repeating themselves. And I think we get to a point where we realize we just need some refreshment to come. And I'm so thankful that God knew that too. Because God brings the refreshment through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we believe as Christians that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves everything that we believe. And we look forward to Easter Sunday. Amen? Are you still with me? Easter Sunday. We look forward to Easter Sunday. It's resurrection day. It's what it's all about. Praise the Lord. But in order for us to get to resurrection, we have to journey to the cross. We can't have the resurrection without the cross. And there's a road there. There's a journey. It's it's long. It's eternal. 
One thing that I think is so good for us to remember is that this word eternal that's used in this passage is not a quantity of time. It's not a number of years. You see, this word does not guarantee us how many years we're going to live on this earth before we experience that eternal refreshment of heaven. Rather, I think we need to be reminded that eternal life begins when we receive the refreshment of Jesus in our lives right now. Eternal life begins when we accept his love, his forgiveness, and we begin to live our life for him right now. When we look to God for salvation, when we receive his refreshment and we begin living eternally for him, we realize that God wants us to enjoy quality over quantity. Quality over quantity. Our quality of life gets much better when we start our eternal journey with God sooner. Amen? In talking with people that have, that have come to me and they've said, Pastor, I'm really struggling because I've tried to live my life for God all my life and, and my family, they're not saved. They don't know you, but you tell me that when it comes to those deathbed experiences that they can still go to heaven. And the Bible talks about stories of, of the, the, the landover that gives the same amount to the person that started at the beginning of the day to the one that started at the end of the day. In other words, eternal life is for everyone. Amen? Eternal life is not about a number of years. It's not a matter of, of moments. It's a matter of quality. And yes, we believe as Christ followers, as Christians, that if the sooner we start walking with the Lord, the better our life will be. The more refreshment we will experience. Does that mean all the negative goes away? No. But it means we can enjoy the refreshment a lot sooner. You see, when we, don't, when we accept God into our life through Jesus Christ, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the refreshment of God. The Bible tells us that we need to live here on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? It, it means that we ask God into our life and we begin to live through Jesus Christ living in us in our world right now. It means we bring refreshment to the world through Jesus Christ. Help us live for you now Lord, help us to enjoy the quality of life that you want for us now so that everyone around us can see that they need you too. Save us from our sins. Save us from being separated from you. And let us realize that this journey with you is eternal. It's a long trip, but it's a trip of refreshment. A trip we can enjoy. Amen? Cross point number one, God wants to save us. We just have to look at him. Cross point number two, the journey's eternal. And finally, cross point number three, we need to allow God to work. We need to allow God to work. I want to read our, the end of our passage again this morning. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Listen to these words of Paul once again. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. 
For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I don't know if you heard that clearly or not. Somebody needs to hear this today. You are God's masterpiece. He created you intentionally and on purpose. He has a plan for your life. You are his masterpiece. You are his prized creation. I believe that God has given me some revelation about this passage because in the past, I've, I've clung to this verse. You, if you look in my Bible, it's circled, it's underlined, it's highlighted because I struggle so much with insecurity that I need reminded from God's word, the truth of God's word, that I'm his masterpiece. I am, as we sang this morning, I am who he says I am, not what I believe about myself. Somebody needs to hear that. That's good preaching. Just because you think it about yourself doesn't make it true. What he says about you is true. And he says you are his masterpiece. So the revelation I believe God has given me is that this, this masterpiece creation is a journey in itself. So I started thinking, what does that really mean? Well, a masterpiece is a long process. When, you think about, when I think about a masterpiece, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is an artist or a painter painting a, a masterpiece. And we hear about these famous paintings that these famous artists did. And, and we go through and we, we are in awe of these certain creations, these masterpieces, if you will. But, and when we look at those things and we look at a painting or maybe we're watching one take place, sometimes I think we want the masterpiece to be done when we think it should be done. And it's not yet. How many of you ever watched the great artist Bob Ross? He's painting along and he makes it look so easy, doesn't he? Makes you think you could do it yourself. And he's painting along and you think it's done. The scenery is just perfect. It's, it's, just, it's just exactly what it should be. And you think he should be done and then all of a sudden he goes, you know what? I think we need a happy little tree right here. Right? Or maybe we need a happy little tree right over here. And he keeps going. You see, a masterpiece is not complete until the artist says it is. If God is our creator, if God is the artist, and we are the masterpiece, that means you and I, we are not finished until he says we are. That's good news. We are his masterpiece. In other words... The work that God is doing in our life as he's continually shaping us, as he's continually molding us, as we're walking along even in this Lenten journey and we've fallen and we've stumbled, he picks us up and he says, you know what, BJ, I've got a happy little tree for you right here. I've got some refreshment for you. You're my masterpiece. You're not done until I say you're done. Wow. That's good news. Even when we fall, even when we stumble, God can pick us up and say, you know what, I'm not done with you yet. In other words, the masterpiece work of God in your life is the work in progress that will never stop. Paul continues on to conclude this passage by saying, we are being created into God's masterpiece so we can do 
the good things that he planned for us long ago. You and I are needed to fulfill the purpose God has for you. You might think, well, pastor, not everybody knows him. Not everybody knows they need saved. Not, not everybody confessed, has confessed their sins. How is their life purposeful yet? It's, their purpose is finding Jesus, and it's our purpose to help them find Jesus. Amen? We need to tell people about what God has done in our life. If he's created a happy little tree in your life by taking away your sin and your shame and your guilt, and he's forgiven you of that, maybe you should tell somebody. If he's provided at the end of the month when the money wasn't there and still things got taken care of, maybe you should tell somebody. If he's redeemed you from a past relationship that has broken you and hurt you and caused you to build up walls that now he's crushing down because that's not a part of his masterpiece, maybe we should praise him. Wow. It's a work in progress. It will never stop. But he's created us so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. This means that you have purpose. This means that when God formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb, he had a plan for you. Long before you ever thought about being here, long before your parents ever ever thought or dreamed that they were going to have a child, God knew you were coming and he had a purpose for you. He had a plan for you. He had a specific job for you to do that he had planned long ago. That means the work is not finished. The journey to refreshment is long. The journey to the resurrection is long, but it can only come as we journey to and through the cross. God has a purpose for us. We just need to look to him. We need to be reminded that he wants to save us. When we're being bitten, when we're being tossed to and fro, when we feel like there's nothing else and we just complain and grumble, when we look up and we see the reminder, God wants to save me. God wants to help me. The journey is long, but we've got to allow God to do his work. We can't take ourselves off the easel of his masterpiece. As another passage of scripture talks about, he is the potter and we are the clay. We can't just pick up and walk off the spinning wheel. We walk off and we're all weird looking. We're not in control, folks. He is. He continues to mold us and shape us. He continues to pour into our lives. He continues to reveal things to us. He continues to paint little happy trees Because he's creating a masterpiece with your life. The work is never done. So what's the simple truth today? Here's the refreshing, simple truth for us today. God loves you. He has a plan for you. Don't ever give up. That's the truth. What do we do in response to the truth? Today, we have an opportunity 
to hit the reset button and receive God's refreshment for our lives right now. Are you tired? Do you need refreshment? I'm going to ask the musicians to come back, and I've got some helpers that are going to come help me. We've, I've got a response time that I want us all to participate in, and I know this might seem silly. It might seem kind of out of the box, but I want to just I want to say as the musicians are coming and as my helpers are coming, come on, helpers, if you're coming, come help me. Get in position. I'm going to say a short prayer here, and then we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to give you some instructions here. But would you just open your heart to receive this refreshment today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, would you just come and fall fresh on this place? Would your spirit come and just remove any inhibitions that we may have? And would you help us to just receive what you have for us today? In Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. Song we sang already this morning. Sing wherever I go. And we get an opportunity to go out of this place singing. So here's the deal. It's Refreshment Sunday. I thought, what else should I do as an act of response? If you need refreshment today, they're going to start singing. We've already prayed. I want you to come up front. Would you grab one of those, a couple of them, and get your refreshment? We've got a, water, a bottle of water for you. Just come. If you need a fresh start today, if you're saying, God, I want to go out here and I want to stop complaining and grumbling. I don't want to be like the Israelites who just complain about everything that's going on, all the blessings and all the hard times. I need a fresh start today. Maybe you've journeyed this Lenten journey and you've fallen. Now's the time to get some refreshment. So we're going to sing. As they sing, come and get a bottle of water. And as you leave today, sing as you go. Amen? Let's sing together. I'm sorry. We're switching gears and we're going to sing Good, Good Father. Okay. We're singing Good, Good Father. That's still true too. Amen? <laughs> well,
It's who I am. It's who I am.